Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hampler and Michael Sidgwick. Here's a look back on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a really good quiz of course on wrestle culture as i said they're joined by hamlet Sidgwick to review aew dynamite sage what do you make of this wild show i thought it was class i thought it was class i described that on twitter the mega fans will forgive me and they'll oh. forgive me for a lot more as we get hey. into the podcast genuinely like i haven't heard dynamite crowd that goddamn hot and up for freaking everything in way too long I don't know if that is a reflection of them running the same towns over and over and over again for logistic purposes, one has to presume, or whether, quite frankly, the um, episodic cycle between pay-per-views takes too goddamn long to get going. But they were white-hot for everything here. I loved virtually everything you'd want from an episodic TV show, the angle development, the promos, the matches, but the vibe ultimately was completely right. And I get to be a completely uh, insufferable cock about a correction I got correct. Mm. I won't be that bad. I won't be that bad. I think you should. Adrenaline in my soul. Everything is mostly fine, isn't it? <laughs> like, it was a really good episode of Dynamite. Um, again, crowds can elevate things uh, as I think they did last night. So there was a couple of things on here that might have belonged on some of the Dynamites we've been a little bit more critical of. But the crowd were in the mood for everything. And uh, there was certainly a couple of moments where I think matches in particular have been a bit wayward on Dynamite recently. Whether that's because they've gone too long or because they've just things seem to have gotten a little bit lost in the middle. And I don't think this crowd permitted the matches to mm. do that on this show. And I think that really helped. It was another break. I know it's worrying people and I get why. But um, another welcome change of the format. Another welcome experiment with the format. I can't remember the last time there was two weeks in a row where a dynamite followed an identical pattern of this to this to this to this to this. It's not always to everybody's taste, having lots more promos and matches or whatever, but I'm liking the difference in the diversity. I think, I, honestly, they're better that they experiment than do one thing so often that it becomes a bit yeah. rote. So I think, like, I'm just in, a, just in a better mood with it. It's, Sidgwick's probably made the right point there. It's unfortunate that they kind of have to wait for a point where they get so close to a pay-per-view. They were like, right, we, we start now. It's not a it's not a healthy way to do things, but 
you do get these great episodes as a result. Yeah, lots of young talent getting flattered, high in-ring quality, just the whole smorgasbord of what you want, hot crowds, momentum, February 2020 vibes, almost. I can say there's something, something always about the, the road to revolution when we're not in the midst, in the grip, I should say, we are still in the midst of, but in the grip of a pandemic, always sort of comes together for AEW. Maybe it's because it's the longest gap. Yeah, hmm. could well be. Uh, right, and I saw the beginning of the show because the show opened with CM Punk cross-legged in the center of the ring and he introduces himself. He says, I am CM Punk. I'm straight edge. I'm drug-free, alcohol-free, uh, and that means I'm better than you. And he says, that might, it sort of sound, might sound familiar. I said it for the first time over 20 years ago and it inspired some people to be wrestlers, even some people to be straight edge. It even inspired some people to sit like him. MJF, he's talking about MJF. Um... Because that is the same MJF who beat him in his hometown of Chicago twice. He's acknowledged the fact that uh, the match at Revolution is just a consolation. Uh, <laughs> MJF tries to make himself seem like some type, type of all-time great, but he's the same little MJF from little Long Island. Um, but now, though, after last week, and he says he gives props to John Moxley for the assist, uh, Punk gets to pick the rules of the rematch. Uh, and he's obviously going to pick March 6th, Revolution, Orlando, Florida. But what kind of match should it be, says CM Punk. Uh, he's thought about it being a cage match, but Wardlow can still tear things apart. MJF can still run away. And then he said, I realized that I learned most from the losses of my career, the, the matches where I left a piece of myself behind. And MJF has been talking all about Piper in Portland. People may have picked up on that already, uh, and that's given Punk an idea, or at least got him thinking, and he's got a box in front of him that's been sat there the whole time, and he opens it up to uh, reveal a kinky dog collar with a chain and all that attached. You'll have to change that on the night. It's a very, very <laughs> sexy dog collar, isn't it? Like that. Uh, he says MJF's probably pissing his pants backstage. Uh, no one wants to be in this match. They take years off your life. They shorten your career, all that sort of thing. But he wants MJF to come out because there's one more thing he wants to tell him. He wants to look into MJF's eyes when he says it. And MJF, a very disconsolate MJF, sidles out. Um, and before he can say anything, Punk says, one more thing. And he pulls out the infamous photo of uh, the young child MJF meeting CM Punk. And he said, look. For you, this was the greatest day of your life. For me, it's just Friday. And he said, revolution is going to be the worst day of your life. But for me, it's just going to be a Sunday. And the canvas is going to be stained with MJF's blood. And MJF, for once, is lost for words. He picks the mic up to his mouth and then doesn't say anything and just drops it. And walks away. What an opening segment this was. I'm going to go to Michael Sidgwick first because I feel you take need to take a deserved victory lap. Yes, absolutely. I want to praise the content of the promo more so than my prediction. Um, be my Valentine. Oh. Not only is the wordplay exquisite, not only is the timing exquisite, but in saying it, the subtext is, I'm Piper and you're not. In my mind, yeah. you're a pretender. And it was an Ansomer's gift in an Ansomer's gift box. From yeah. Valentine's Day, which, you know, is that tied in? I mean, basically, CM Punk in this promo just was absolutely incredible, as he always is. He laid out the challenge, the contrast with the picture, and the worst and the best days. It was just incredible. He came off, like, just the biggest baby face, and he's, he's better as a heel. He's the best 
pro wrestling babyface of an age, of an eternity, not named Hangman Adam Page, and he's still even better as a heel. This run is already incredible. It's going to be seminal. I think it's going to be the best thing he's ever done in pro wrestling, and this promo and the next match are going to just further that idea. Even before I tweeted on January 6th, I just thought, I'm going to have to get written evidence of this, because I've been saying it on podcasts before then. Mm-hmm. I said, they are goddamn doing a dog collar match. They were talking a lot about... Um, Piper in Portland, the whole premise, and it's such a classic pro wrestling story. And it's nice that CM Punk gets to do this. He doesn't have to be this counterculture um, disruptor, this disturber from a horribly broken machine. He's uh, he's in an environment now where he can just tell fantastic stories, and it's great to watch CM Punk doing classic rock. Um, I thought, right, the cowardly heel who hides behind goons cannot have the the intestinal fortitude to stand up with CM Punk one-on-one. He constantly runs away. They are talking about Piper a lot. I just thought that's the step. It yeah. has to be the step. And look, I could be an insufferable dickhead and put over my prescient mind here. It's not about that. It's not about what I predicted. It's about how great the storytelling is, mm. how much they reward you and can make you place your investment in the storytelling because they've got a destination. They've got a plan. They've got a story. They are capable storytellers. They have a destination in mind. And what do they do? They work backwards. They work backwards from the destination. Everything makes sense. Everything location-specific adds wrinkles to it. The idea they were in, where was it, Cleveland? Mm -hmm. Not too long ago, or Cincinnati? Somewhere like that, where it was the site of CM Punk, meant to be at Raw. They've just worked every little loving, crafted detail into the storyline, the, the city they're in, the arena they're in, um, when to get the heat, when to get the comeback, when to have a goddamn bit of fun with it over the holidays. Me predicting the step isn't the real genius here, funnily enough. The actual real genius is the storyline. I just happen to track the beats, but other people have done it with this storyline and with others. The idea is this company does incredible long-term storytelling, and this long-term storyline is one of the most incredible bits of business they've done so far. This double-juice mayhem bloodbath with a dog-collar match is going to be incredible. I can't wait. They have my money. CM Punk tried to get your money with this pay-per-view sell promo, and he goddamn did it. All of this is goddamn great. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. It's uh, like, Cedric does deserve his flowers for spotting the seeds being planted with uh, all the Roddy Piper references. But AEW also watered those seeds with a Jimmy Rave finish because Jimmy Rave and CM Punk had this class. The dog collar matches he's referring to are with Raven and Jimmy Rave. Like Jimmy Rave, the ones that took pieces of him. You know, it's not just... the It, be, it, it advanced from being just references to Roddy Piper mm-hmm. to something else that factors into this story because every single detail has been very carefully uh, sort of dropped in at exactly the right point. You see, you're supposed to feel like the satisfaction of a prediction coming true or the satisfaction of everything being super logical to get us to this point. And credit to AEW as well for very much taking a stipulation like the dog collar. It's a hardcore double juice stipulation. You know, it is associated with bloodthirsty matches and really dangerous brawls. But I've made no secret of my complaints lately with AEW bastardizing violence in wrestling in general. I'm not feeling almost any of it, because there's just so much of it, a dog collar feels different to all of them. Lights out, no DQ. We've got another no disqualification match on this on this show after a lights out last week. Sorry, no, after a lights out two weeks ago and a text death match the week before. 
synonyms, basically, at this point for big spots, right? This feels different. Mm. They've found a way to make the stipulation feel different and dangerous in a new way. And they've done that with the steel cage, too. So they're taking older stipulations, te- like mid-80s non-WWE territory stuff, and made them feel way more violent and dangerous than the stunt and bump stuff that is now kind of the preserve of your average dynamite or rampage. Yeah. And that's to their credit as well. That's not just a punk and MJF thing. But it's an AEW thing. It's how loving they are towards these stipulations and how they make you want to pay for it. You know, last year's revolution, they acknowledged that, well, Moxley and Omega have half killed each other before, so how big can we make it exploding bar by a death match? They've, been, they've looked at that and thought, hmm, there's potential for that to go wrong. So they've that, what they've done is they've added value to the minimalist approach instead with something like the dog collar, but they've earned it. It's magnificent and not really a lot to add to the continued brilliance of the way that these two men deliver what they're required to deliver each week. It's, it'd be easy to brush over MJF's contribution to this because yeah. it's the least he's ever had to do. But I imagine for someone like an MJF, it was probably more nerve-wracking to go out there and say nothing because what he's got to do is he's got to act entirely without the one without his biggest weapon. And I thought he did a tremendous job of that as well. Like He, he listens, big fan, um, but he's going to hear biggest weapon and think we're talking about the cack. Like, <laughs> it's... Just fantastic that he can go out there. We praise Wardlow for his acting. A lot of wrestlers can't sell that shock and disgust and whatever was asked of him in that moment. And he did a really effective job. He made you care just as much for CM Punk's words as the victim of Punk's verbal assault. This was brilliant. This is all-time AEW stuff. I'm starting to think, like, I'm going to remember this more fondly than Paige Omega, which I know sounds sacrilege. I know it does. But just because it, it's a little bit more traditional pro wrestling... And I'm a little bit thicker than some of Page Omega. <laughs> like, I'm a little bit thicker than some of Page Omega until people very lovingly craft YouTube videos or write incredible books and articles about it. Um, this has been all on television, all in front of me, all over the course of three months, four months, whatever. Uh-huh. It's as traditional as it gets, and it can still be done to this level of utter brilliance. It means why you like it stuff, isn't it? Yeah. It is why you like it. And yeah, MGF has to get put over for just playing with the contrast of his character and doing something out of character when he embodies his character so well all of the time, registers as something very, very, very authentic and, like, the gravity with which he sold mm. everything. So real, wasn't it? Tremendous. So yeah. real. Yeah, bloody love this opening to, to Dynamite. We go backstage uh, where the tag champs are there, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, of course, flanked by Christian Cage. Uh, they reveal there's going to be matches to determine top contenders for the championships, and uh, there's going to be a three-way for the tag titles at Revolution. Jungle Boy loves a good three-way, he says, to which Luchasaurus goes, huh? Like that. Um, Christian's on about f***ing two people at once. Yes, he is. On AEW 2.0. Oh! Christian talks about how interesting things are going to get in the division. Uh, and I liked Jungle Boy's little nod to knowing something about winning some battle royals. And a uh, little pat on Christian Cage's shoulder. They've not forgotten about all this. Um... I'm intrigued to know what you, you think about this three-way being set up at Revolution. I'm not a fan of it, to be perfectly honest. I don't like the idea of three-way matches in general from a logical standpoint. The fact See the that wires a little bit. with It's not just that. It's just, this, well, it, yeah. The stipulation in itself makes very little sense. A champion losing what they've fought for without being actually defeated isn't good. Mm-hmm. I know what this exists to do. The Young Bucks are going to win one match. Red Dragon are going to win the other. The three-way, it's going to be like this pretty incredible 15 to 17-minute ripper that exists to, one would hope, further the elite rivalry and potentially give 
Jurassic Express, like a pay-per-view banger that you can hang their hat on, and then, you know, whatever, Bobby Fish gets pinned or something. I like the idea as well. It's like, I like... I like elements of a bad idea, a fundamentally bad idea. It's very transparent what they're doing. It makes no sense for the sports promotion really to do it. They've kind of telegraphed the life out of what the match is going to be and therefore what the result of two long matches are going to be. I kind of like the idea of Red Dragon winning the first one, the normal Battle Royal. And because they're doing the casino version, that's like the Rumble format, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I like the idea of the books doing an absolute blow-away Broadway performance, like kind of really baby-facing themselves because the idea is they are going to eventually oppose um, Paragon or Undisputed Era or whatever as the baby-faces. So planting the seeds for that, allowing fans to really like them again. Mm. There are good elements to what is a fundamentally flawed, telegraphed, overthought idea. Yeah, I found this so lame. I was thirsting for some version as like some subversion of it as much as jungle boy thirsts for sex with two people i want red dragon to win the first one and then in a nice nod to all of us saying yeah christian wins the casino only for jungle boy to do it the young bucks to go along in the casino and lose as a result of maybe botched adam cole or um red dragon interference they would have got it done but their supposed friends have cost them and you actually drop in unexpected Baby faces in the same way Jungle Boy was once an unexpected baby face winner. You out of nowhere kind of give a team the rub. I don't have that team to mind, but you know what I mean? Like a team that gets into the match at the expense of the Young Bucks. It doesn't feel like it's going to go that way. It feels super predictable. And I want to be surprised because this company feels better than the way they've gone about getting to this. So I'd quite like an I'd quite like another team to win the casino from underneath the Young Bucks nose as a result of this. Kings of the Black Throne or something like yeah. that. I think this entire deal exists to do something beyond revolution. And considering mm. if you factor in the amount of minutes that we can kind of book ourselves, then there's a lot of them. None of this sits right with me. The triple threats, it, like historically, the triple threats where the champions of the third person are not on. You've kind of gone wrong somewhere if they're the third characters in their own story. What if Cole's like, like oh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll corner uh, Red Dragon, but, you know, busy, busy guy. Don't worry, though. I've got uh, you some insurance, Young Bucks. Here's Jay White. Well, yeah, but, like, uh, and there's nice, there's something quite cute about Christian being um, Jurassic Express's guy in that dynamic because of the TLC ones when you would have Rhino, Spike, and Lita and all that. So it's all very nice, but it's it's too convenient. It's too pro wrestling cliche. So I hope there's a, an extra twist in this tale. I can't see it. Three-way seems a lock. Mm, yeah. Uh, right, then we got... Oh, Brian Danielson versus Lee Moriarty. We got a little video package introducing the history of him and uh, and Moxley, and then wanting to do the Danielson Dojo. That was we sticking with, yeah. Danielson Dojo or Dragon Dojo. Yes. It is imperative that the word Dojo is in there. Why? Because it sounds cool as hell. <laughs> more, more on that later, Hamlet. Um, <laughs> so at the bell, uh, Danielson offers him a handshake. Moriarty goes for it, and Danielson moves his hand away because he's a knobhead. Brilliant. Um, they wrestle around, uh, and Danielson. Uh, as part of a rope break, just slaps the taste out of Lee Moriarty's mouth. Um, he uh, dominates early on, puts him in a modified dragon sleeper, but Moriarty counters, goes to the border city stretch, but Danielson gets the ropes, and again, slaps Moriarty in the face. Um, so Moriarty fires up, uppercuts Danielson to the floor, but Danielson avoids a dive and uh, ties him up in the ropes, hits him with the yes kicks, uh, dominates through the commercial break. Uh, they come back, 
And, well, there's a spot we're going to talk about. I'm going to skip past it because I know you two really adored it. Uh, but there was a brilliant, weird sort of headstand, le- legs tied together, punching each other thing that I... I mean, if you haven't seen it, I can't describe it for you. That's the best I can do. Uh, Danielson puts him in the label lock. Moriarty has to get to the ropes. Uh, he makes his comeback, though. Back suplex. They trade uppercuts. Uh, Moriarty rolls Danielson up with a backslide, gets a near fall. Um, but Danielson hits him with a strong right hand, and Moriarty fires up with uh, repeated strikes, but he runs straight into a rolling elbow, fights back with a belly-to-belly suplex to get a two-count. Um, but he goes, he goes to pin... Uh, he transitions then into the Border City stretch, but Danielson powers out of it, backdrop suplex, um, r- runs straight, uh, Moriarty runs straight into the Basaiku knee, uh, and Danielson just doesn't go for the pinfall, because of course he doesn't. He instead does the holding the arms, stomping on the head thing, and I particularly enjoyed the homage to Nate Diaz as he transitioned into a triangle hold, uh, and as his legs were choking the light out, life out of him, Already lifeless body, basically. He did the Nate Diaz flex, uh, waiting for the referee stoppage. We'll deal with the match first, Hamphlet, and then we'll talk about the post-match. What a hilarious, vicious, and excellent pro wrestling match this was. What a perfect television match from... He is the perfect professional wrestler. Ryan Danielson is the perfect professional wrestler. If there's anyone more perfect than him, it's the guy that he's about to speak to in an in-ring promo next Perfect. I, I, I couldn't love this more, but it's almost, we say this sometimes, when you get a match like this, when when Tony Khan arrives at a pairing that he does, you know, have this gift for, loves them to name check and then praise him at the same time. Like, he has this gift for these pairings. and Gives you, you joy every week. You do these recaps, and it's like, he's a good guy. Yep. Yep to Wilbon's recap, not what you just said. Yep to exactly why this match works because of all the things you've just said. You know, like, everything you've watched is exactly how you would want this match to play out between these two specific wrestlers at this point in their careers. Um, I am not bored, and I thought I was getting bored, and I'm not remotely bored, and I think it's because we covered Daniel Bryan on the five-star review review, of being reminded that Brian Danielson is 100 goddamn foot tall, regardless of his actual height, because that's who he is as a pro wrestler. He's not... We can work work every week for the next 10 years. He's not a small guy. He's not... He doesn't need straight, pal. He's a monster, because he can use his skills and his viciousness and his... Like, he's a trained master of violence, and that's what the American Dragon delivers. Um, I want to talk about the spot. I want to wax lyrical about the spot. Thank you for leaving it out. The Draping DDT... It's a nice spot that generates a big pop for Randy Orton and has done for years, but it asks for quite a substantial amount of suspension of disbelief in much the same way that something like the 619 does. Oh, it's very convenient the wrestler has found themselves in a like a situation like this. In this case, a wrestler's feet have got hooked on the middle rope. Think about trying to drag somebody who is hypothetically dead weight to that position. That's really hard going. And Brian Danielson spots that. I think he's waist height. This is perfect for me to drive a knee into the side of his skull. There is no more damage I can do. Why would I fall on my back when I can drive my knee at the tightest of angles into the side of his face from close range? Absolutely brutal. I popped. I, I did that like sort of... I think what people... What I what I imagine a lot of people got out of something in the Texas Deathmatch last week, I got from that. I was yeah. oh, my word. <laughs> it was just... I, I could see the, the sl- Simpsons slow-motion skull cracking X-ray shot <laughs> of, uh, of Paul Lee Moriarty, who, again, was great, by the yeah. way, because you only need... If, you, if you're if good at 
the hope spot in the way that Moriarty was, and you're there fundamentally to sell that you're you're a little bit out of your league. Moriarty absolutely nailed this. No damage done in defeat whatsoever because people can get over by getting beat, as AEW has proven over and over again. Perfect. Absolutely no notes. Yeah, perfect television. Moriarty's best AEW match for you? Yes. The tag team match with um, Seidel, Rush, and Martin was a different genre of match. This was a lot more powerful. I was so chuffed for him as well because him and Punk had that match that was just, eh, it was all right, I guess. Massively disappointing, if I'm being brutally honest. So to see the crowd up and hot, white hot for this, because that Punk match... Like, no one was really up for it, which didn't help it at all. They just felt like they were struggling out there, to be honest. And they were really, really up for this. So I was happy for Moriarty on that in that respect. And this match was genius, perfect, episodic wrestling television. Hot take, Brian Danielson is just incredible at his craft. <laughs> one note on that incredible spot that I had the exact same visceral feeling towards was that the technical master, who can counter everything, he knows the counters to the opponent's counters, and that was explored brilliantly in this technical wrestling match. Watch this um, young relative novice leave his feet. No, don't do that, you idiot. I'm going <laughs> to punish you with violence, which is the whole goddamn story of the match. So that was an excellent little um, reason to do that and how it fed into the wider story. But Danielson is just an absolute genius. He's incredible at this. In a way, that's hard to articulate. He's so good at wrestling that he can portray himself as the very best wrestler in the world through his very movement and the way he controls a match and the way he works a match. It's an um, it's a skill that literally only the best wrestler in the world mm. can actually have. Mm. When he slapped Moriarty in the face so goddamn hard, because it's Danielson doing it, because there's a certain emotional connection that you associate Danielson with being the best wrestler in the world, you want it so badly for Moriarty to fire up. Like, you didn't expect him to do it. It didn't just make sense in the context of a match in which the tone of violence escalated wonderfully throughout. You actually wanted him to fire back. Mm. It's like, go on, slap the person I hold in the highest regard in the face. <laughs> because the person I hold in the highest regard has made me want you to do that. The guy's unbelievable. This isn't the first time that the label lock has had this sort of effect on a wrestler where they can kind of survive it long enough to get into the ropes. I've seen this with my own eyes about three, four, maybe five times in a Danielson match. The second he applies it to this day, I'm thinking that's a finish. That's yeah. a finish. That's how powerful it yeah. is. That's how much he's protected it. That's how much he's awesome at making you think he can end a match with a click of the fingers. So when I realized, oh, it's not the finish, because I was enjoying the match so goddamn much, I was delighted. And I thought, how much has he shown out? Is this Moriarty lad? Yeah, escaping it even briefly, the leg lock, lucha slap. It's all <laughs> just so amazing. And then we got to talk about what came afterwards because post match, uh, not even out of breath. Danielson gets on the mic. He said he came out here to teach Lee Moriarty a thing or two about violence, and he wanted to team up with Moxley to teach young wrestlers. Uh, now he wants an answer from Moxley, and Moxley makes his entrance through the crowd. Uh, gets on the mic and said he, when he was young, broken, a bit dumb, he wanted to take a shot at the American Dragon. He talked about being a show in Ohio. Danielson was late because of bad weather and Tracy Smothers, legend that he was, uh, stalled for 45 minutes and then Danielson just arrived in a car in his gear, immediately just gets in the ring with Moxley. Uh, Moxley talked about fighting hard, but ultimately Danielson beat him as he has done 
every time Moxley admits he's never beaten him before. And uh, maybe he wants that one win that's uh, eluded him a little bit. But uh, Danielson wants to team up with him. And, uh, yeah, Moxley's thought about it. He says, imagine the legacy of violence they could put together. A brilliant line. He says, I'm not saying yes, but I'm not saying no either. He talks about whether Danielson wants to be his partner to create things or simply because he doesn't want to be across the ring from me. Now, if that's the case, then Moxley's already won because... I mean, he didn't say this, but he's effectively implying rent-free. Um, he says, what's Danielson saying? Well, it doesn't matter. Either way, Moxley doesn't stand next to someone until he bleeds with them first, Sige. So much to love about this. I think me and Hamflick can cover every angle of it. I'll just do two. Um, I love the way, because John Moxley is a writer, he's a poet. Why would he give, between the Be My Valentine line and that entire promo, the yes and no thing and everything we're about to discuss. Why would you give these guys scripts? Why? Why would you do this? Like, you incompetent idiots in WWE giving these guys scripts on the evidence of so much, but particularly tonight. I love the way that Moxley told the story about Danielson because he just painted a picture, a portrait of a complete, nasty, mercenary cock who will turn up to rinky-dink indie shows for his own amusement, just to, like, kill people <laughs> and to wrestle and to be the best at it. So that was great. Hamlet's going to cover what else was great about this, but one more thing is that this is so faithful to what the whole John Moxley story in AEW has been. One thing AEW has done for me is made me realize WWE is even worse. It's even worse now, and it always has been in the past. From day one, this promotion hasn't set a single goddamn foot wrong with the John Moxley character. They've stayed faithful to it. It's just been wonderful. If you watched fans of a certain age, not the weird ones who like just watched it like started watching like ten years ago. <laughs> How did he get into it? We'll remember that when DVDs came out and WWE suddenly got access to all of these libraries and stuff, and um, post Monopoly, they would create these three disc bio DVDs get the two-hour documentary feature, and you get, like, a selection of the best matches. Like, the Bret Hart DVD, like, the Shawn Michaels, the Austin, the Foley's. And that's what's a Triple H. Why do you want to watch that? <laughs> and the story of most of them was, yeah, well, and there's Pritchard on a talking head. The f uh, just the tosser, the fat tosser that he is. There's <laughs> Pritchard going, well, we didn't get it right the first time, you know, with the ringmaster, and that's just how it is sometimes. You get rubbish gimmicks, and then the cream rises to the goddamn top. No, just be competent from day one. <laughs> and then you can enjoy these wonderful stories, and you can play on these wonderful stories, do the work, and the work will reward you. The idea that Danielson and Moxley can only team together, because Moxley says, if I plead with you first, essentially saying, if you earn my respect, then we can go to battle together. He's been doing this the whole goddamn time. Darby Allen was the first guy that the loner John Moxley was like, I had to paradigm shift you off the top rope in, what, November 2019 in an awesome match. You've got my respect. Eddie Kingston. Friends, now enemies. We've, I've had to strangle you with barbed wire. I'm glad the friendship's been repaired. I'll team with you now. Just very selective about how they do it. Even when... Penta and Phoenix had that weird sort of trio with Moxley. He was smart enough to say, yeah, whatever. I like trios matches because he didn't really say, oh, I want a team of these guys. I'm going to go to war with them. It was different. I just love that line. Absolutely love that line. So faithful to this 
almost perfect, complete journey that the John Box's character's been on. It's not the ringmaster. It's not Hunter Hearst Helmsley. <laughs> it's not CM Punk who had to go to OVW. It's just been perfect from day one. You're allowed to be competent from day one. WWE sucks. It's great that. It really is great because he never trusted the Young Bucks and was proven, nope. and was proven right to not trust the Young Bucks. He uh, has fought with, as part of the Shield, CM Punk, but he heard those words, those very, very powerful words when he was at his lowest point and CM Punk was there for him on camera, shooting on main his support for John Moxley, and he was there for him last week. Like, just hangs together. The loyalty that AEW afford, like, the loyalty to John Moxley's character that they afford, like, they afford him is deserved because John Moxley then satisfies the brief by being the best version of himself when he goes out there. In content and delivery, this was impeccable. This was, like, the, the thing with the CM Punk promo on the same show is that people will make the comparison because they're on the same episode. But it's a slightly unfair comparison because they're at very different points in the story. Like, CM Punk's on the home straight in this long feud with MJF, and it's the last big reveal of a thing to get to the the match that is coming in two or three weeks. We're very much, uh, at most, a midpoint in the Brian Moxley story. We might still be at the beginning of it, quite frankly, if there is indeed a dojo to look forward to down the road. Um, but to do what he did with this material, I ch- like, he's a poet, he's an actor, uh, he's but he's still a pro wrestler. Mm. He's he's everything to this company, I think. Like, the Cedric made a point last week about, um, and it was driven by the impromptu match, but there's been teasers of it elsewhere. And then Cody leaves, and it's like, you use the word soul, I think, in relation to AEW. And for the guy that came in as almost the, um, we've got a big ex-WWE guy that you didn't see coming, when ex-WWE wasn't such a polluted term, I guess. The big star that has decided to make the jump. John Moxley is the soul of AEW too. There can be more than one soul, it turns out, and John Moxley is just that soul. Um, Because everything he said here... But he put over Lee Moriarty. He was he put over and was critical of Brian in one anecdote. So inspired, as you say, like the guy that just sort of turns up to batter the young hopeful John Moxley. But at the same time, there is a subtext there that he's got the most immense respect for pro wrestling and the graft of it. Like that he would arrive at the building in his gear. What a picture that paints of a guy that is late because of traffic and pulls up in burgundy trunks. It's like, how has he done that? Like, when he's been stuck in traffic, he's been getting changed into his wrestling gear because he's that desperate for the fight. So even in this quite cruel, like a story of Brian's cruelty, yeah, it's a measure of the man at the same time. So he's putting him over. And the goddamn, the line itself, again, I'm going to have to use the same word, poetry. Like, I'm not saying yes, but I'm not saying no. But the delivery of that as well. Yeah. Like, I want to fucking... Like I, 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 I love him so, so much. I've got all those. This is great, right? Because in 2020, we were so effusive about John Moxley. That's been on his cards and table because we needed him. Yeah. Now I just want him. Like now all of this like yeah. is with crowds and with life being back and with things, with the clouds not being quite as dark as they were two years ago. And we're getting this just because. Like it's, it feels so luxurious and I get to luxuriate in this once a week and we're all lucky. It's just, it echoes something to CM Punk. This is absolutely what you watch pro wrestling for. The quality of all of this is why, um, ultimately, why you probably got interested in the first place, unless you're those strange. Well, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to answer your question, Cedric. Was, what were they watching? You know what they're watching? A pipe bam. And then he disappeared. So they were given no other reason to stick around. He's back, <laughs> he's back now and he's on this channel. So they'll give you more of it as well. Absolutely inspired stuff. I love this angle already, too. This angle's incredible, man. It's the kind of angle that is so, like, pregnant with possibilities and it just yeah. indulges your fantasy book and nerd brain. What if the dojo happens? What if, because he's working the best wrestler in a sort of a grappling thing, we get 
Trunks Mock's back. Oh, God, yes. It's going to have to happen at some point. Oh, sorry. Also, Moxley's not thick. I'd, I've nearly forgot to mention that, and I think that's so crucial. If we can see that Brian's maybe being a bit of a manipulative prick, then so can John Moxley. And it's so important that he can. You know, if he'd have just come out and said, you know what, I've given this some thought, and that sounds pretty cool to me, then we're all going, uh, don't trust him. And we're not supposed to be in front of John Moxley. John Moxley's supposed to be in front of us yeah. and in front of Brian Danielson, and he is. Brilliant. See, this dojo happens. There's a little riff. This dojo happens. You've got, like, Garcia, Moriarty, Utah, in Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> they're awesome. And Danielson's leading it, and Mox might be there, he might not, and they can have a war with Mox and Kingston or whatever. I mean, it'd be incredible. And you can build, you can pick off every dork stable to get there, and it'll be really entertaining. The contrast between the dorks and Danielson having no patience with the dorks at all. What if, down the line, because this whole exists, this whole thing exists, and it doesn't even exist yet, and it's still awesome, because Daniel said, I want the title, and I think we kind of need each other to arrive at it. Let's win all the goddamn titles. What if CM Punk wins the world title over the next year, and he said in 2021, I want to work with all the young guys, and all the young guys in the dojo and go, well, no, fuck it. We want to work you now. <laughs> and then they beat the piss out of them, and that builds to Punk versus Danielson, and then Punk has to go through the young guys, but they don't respect him. It's not a favor. They want to chin him. They want to want to kill him at, for their legacy. There is so much to do. It's the best thing that is happening in wrestling that isn't the thing that we watched at the start of the show. There's not a single fantasy booking idea with this angle that isn't great. There yeah. is, there's not a way for you to go wrong. I was thinking of, like, I was thinking of bits. My WWE brain was kicking in, but like these can do WWE really well, so it would work. Like Brian, knowing Moxley is on the way and wanting to think, yeah, we're, we're, we're bros now. He lines up all the trainees and he's got them doing squats in time to a wild thing and they're squatting to wild thing and then Moxley walks in and he's like, turn that shit off. Like that, he's like, this is not what we're here for. We're here to fight. We're here to learn to fight. It's violence. But Brian's thinking, oh, we're, we're good. Yeah, like one, two, wild thing. And they're just squatting in time with it. I love it. I love it. I'm so excited to see what they do next with this. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely awesome. It can't fail. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, we followed that with a Keith Lee promo who said, Greetings! <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 no, he didn't. He, uh, 
He uh, <laughs> he did do it in his own inimitable way. Let's just say inimitably. Yes. <laughs> he he said something. I've written this down. And I'm fairly certain there was not a full stop in this paragraph. <laughs> you went a bit keenly there. There was not a full stop to be found. It was only a matter of time. The anticipation was essentially tangible. I've written this verbatim, so it's his words, not mine. The limitless one has arrived in AEW. <laughs> And with this arrival comes the qualification for the face of the revolution ladder match. It's so fitting as the first person to qualify. This is the one instance where you don't save the best for last. <laughs> it is the first and best and the new face of the revolution. It is yours truly, the limitless one, Keith Lee. When I tell you I'm coming here to make a statement. <laughs> phase one is done. And the ladder match is phase two. And when I'm done with that, the TNT Championship shall be mine. Scene. You evident inside baseball here, Wilborn's been transcribing this thing for half an hour downstairs. <laughs> Just to get it right. He's been rehearsing oh. it. He disappeared for 20 minutes. Yeah, I did that with a with a skull, a la Hamlet, a la, a la, a la, a la Hamlet, Hamlet, Hamlet in my hand there. Uh, by the way, I'm taking the piss, but we love Keith Lee, don't we? Yeah, Keith Lee rules. It's good to have a character that you can riff on like this. That's a that's a nice way out of it, isn't it? Nothing yeah, to, nothing to add. He's just a bit verbose sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. But the, this aren't we all? This merge with that bit, they showed the clip of, uh, I think it was him catching Mark Quinn. Yeah. It still defies logic that yeah. he's, he's, it stays there. Like, it's like, you know those things... Chris Jericho did it later on, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know those things where, like, people do the... It's like he's in, like, Takeshi's Castle and stuff, where they jump and then they've got Velcro on them and they just they just stick against, like, a, a dartboard or whatever it was. That's what it looked like, like, Mark Quinn just gone... There we go. And like his face looks even better in the video package because it's just zeroed in and that. And he's like, it's not even like he's like noticed a gust of wind or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, no sells it completely. Has someone left a door open? I feel a draft. <laughs> <laughs> right. Should we move on? <laughs> yeah. Face the revolution. Seven gone. days, man. Like comfortably the most celebrated man of last week's dynamite. Seven days. Three dickheads on a podcast. Uh, it's stupid big words. Indeed. Seven days, that's what it sounds like. Imagine what what it's going to be like in... Nine days! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed, furthermore. Uh, oh. Right, based on revelation, followed by... Uh, uh, it was... Handsome bastard, Wardlow, uh, against Max Caster. Each have got Sean Spears and, and Anthony Bowens in their corner. Caster's map, uh, rap was uh, mocking the local teams and saying that... Wardlow's MJF's bitch boy. Don't say that before you're about to fight him. It's bad enough you're about to fight Wardlow. Don't call him a bitch boy. Because you could just see on Wardlow's face like, oh, I was going to beat you, but I'm going to kill you now. Yeah. Um, early on, he sort of went through a commercial. This early on, sort of Bowens grabbed Wardlow's boot to distract him, to allow Caster to go after him. But um, it didn't really matter. Wardlow just battered him throughout the commercial, suplexed him all over the ring, out on the floor, and then Castor avoided a spear and spent, sent Wardlow into the steel steps. Um, when we come back from the commercial break, he's got uh, Castor up for a powerbomb, but in all the shenanigans, 
Caster's managed to get his chain and he punches Wardlow uh, to knock him down for a two count uh, and then manages to hit the mic drop for another near fall. But Wardlow just gets back up, power bombs him, uh, hits him with a couple more uh, power bomb sympathy. Uh, brief one at that, but still enough to put Max Caster down. One, two, three. Wardlow qualifies to join Keith Lee. <sighs> what a list of people we're going to get in this match. It's uh, obviously Dante Martin versus Powerhouse Hobbs on Rampage. We'll preview that tomorrow. Um, post-match, Bowens comes in to attack Wardlow, who uh, powerbombs him in response, and then Spears, git that he is, twats both of them with a chair afterwards. Both of them being the acclaimed, I should say. Both of them with a chair afterwards. He's measuring it perfectly yet again, Wardlow. Watch, you have to watch everything he does. When he saw Sean Spears do it again, if you watch Wardlow, he's getting more and more visibly pissed off with this. He was like, he's almost like, it's just simmering so perfectly. In WWE, no character watches the show because they're idiots and it's a show. Why do I watch the show, Paul? Why do I watch the show? In <laughs> AEW, the wrestlers not only watch the show, they watch all of it and they think, oh, should we do that? That's a good idea. So for them to riff on the Wardlow ring exchange to do the change, inspired. I will have one criticism of this, which was otherwise great. Once again, the symphony's the perfect word because the crescendo is getting reached and the volume's getting louder. <laughs> they are overdoing sneak the weapon shot in, kick out of a weapon shot. Jungle Boy with a belt, Punk with a ring bell, now Wardlow with a chain. Come on, don't kick out of all of these and don't do it every week because if you kick out of all of them and you do it every week, it doesn't feel like the weapons mean anything. End the matches sometimes with it. Do a different finish sometimes. They are abusing that particular spot. But it's, like, it's just Tony. Loves it, Tony. He gets yeah. very enthusiastic about things. Oh, this is a great finish. Let's do it a little bit too often. Oh, this is a great mid-carder who can have good matches and need pins. Let's book him for six weeks. Just a little bit self-indulgent. Yeah, when we do This Is Your Thing, it's because we're trying to guess something. When it comes to AEW, we're identifying it because it's very clearly been his thing for the last, like, three or four weeks or something. <laughs> the Wardlow-Batista comparison is typically centred around the, the dynamic that he was breaking out from underneath Triple H's thumb and that the term was going to come and then, like, Triple H was knackered as a result and it drew this huge number and you're going to get it all over again with MJF. I think just as apt is if you watch... A lot of people have kind of forgotten this, and I understand why. But if you watch Batista's development during those months where it was very clear that this was happening, he would persistently, not so much add stuff to his game, but just ever slightly tweak things. So, like, if I, if I describe this, you'll almost certainly visualise it. The bounce back on his spine buster is suddenly, like, his feet became spring-loaded. So he would, like, he'd never leave his feet almost off a spine buster. Somebody would hit the mat and he'd go, ding, like that. And it was just, that's so cool. Like, what else you got? <laughs> and then it turns out he got more the week after and the week after. He had loads of these things, and he was like just like letting them trickle out one week after another. And that's the Wardlow thing. That's the these matches are roughly the same thing. We're getting almost one a week at this point, which theoretically could damage the aura in a company that cannot book. But instead, it's like, what else you got? And then he gives you a thing mm. because he's measuring exactly how to deliver all the all the weapons in his arsenal. Um, Wardlow is not a random big guy that, well, he was a random big guy that was, I guess, in a weird helicopter hoodlums vignette on day one of his AEW career, but he's not really that guy. He did the indie thing. He got the reps in. It's not just this jacked-up guy off the street that, like, they've raced through the system like in WWE. 
He's a trained pro wrestler that has very gradually, through reps and through work, learned how to apply himself to this. And you can see that. It's just that AEW are very smart to almost make it look as if he had less about him. Would you say this is a wrestler that AEW's plucked from obscurity? I might do. I might say there'll be nine more that you can check out at whatclutch.com forward slash WWE as well. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Uh, right, we have a backstage segment with, well, Mercedes Martinez is meant to be interviewed ahead of her no DQ match with Thunder Rosa, but Britt Baker's like, cuts straight across it and just says, just remember, don't bloody lose. Uh, remember why I brought you here. Remember why I paid you to do what you did, et cetera, et cetera. Finish the job. She, you've got, I'm Britt Baker. I've got the best squad and I've got the best sensei. Crease is there, Sage. Crease is there. From Karate Kid, Cobra Kai, for people who recognize that link. Um, and uh, tells Britt Baker, if Mercedes doesn't win, you know what to do. Finish her. No mercy. It's divisive, this, isn't it? Why? But, but, well, it's divisive. I don't, I, I, I don't care. Like, I don't know him, but I don't care. I don't yeah. see how there's a fight over this. You don't recognize it, but I popped for it. I popped huge. Cobra Kai is great. The Karate Kid, 1984, is uh, it's almost bittersweet to watch now. You'll never make a motion picture as simple, magical, earnest, and cheesy as that ever again because the world's knackered. The world's completely knackered, and I love to luxuriate in the vibe of simple, very corny story. They've rebooted it in Cobra Kai, and it's much like Twin Peaks, except Twin Peaks is obviously better. They've actually made it great, and Martin Cove is a pop cultural icon for cheese, and I like cheese, and I love the 80s, and it was one minute of screen time altogether, so stop being a boring bitch about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know who he was, but I, I, I got the gist. I got that, like, there was a, a response to him in the building, and then, like, a sense that he was obviously something from Karate Kid. I think I even guessed, like, Karate Kid or Cobra Kai with something or other that he said. I, do you know what I mean? Like, it didn't matter that I didn't... What were you doing in the video shops? I, like, looking for WrestleMania 6. Like, the... Uh, uh, honestly, like they had six wrestling videos, and uh, sometimes there was drawing of women with boobs in the top shelf. So, like, I, d- I just had it's the same as the gamer guy. That was the comparison that I made. Like, the a certain section of AW's audience that week, the guy with the long hair and the beard who was with Mira and Kip Sabian. Yeah, the gaming the guy. Arcade documentary. But it's like, just, it's they just do this sometimes, and it's it's fine. It's a one off bit, isn't it? Like, they didn't, it would have been more egregious if. Um, egregious, you say? <laughs> if. Uh, you know, Melissa Joan Hart cast a spell on another wrestler. Oh, God, I, did I have mixed emotions about that? Because so she's not a witch. I saw so. her and was like, oh. Abracadabra misinformation. <laughs> I got so excited. I was like, she's bringing a teenage witch. Or for some people, Clarissa or whatever it is, came in, bound into the office. Oh, did you see Melissa Joan Hart? And then I found out from you, you guys that... Uh, you oh, know. I, I was heartbroken. Yeah, she's Melissa Joan heartbroken. Yeah. I hate the construct of this take. The same people who say this <laughs> also say that. But some people have bad faith thicker too. This it's never the same, is it? Ever like that. <laughs> sometimes it is for the purposes of this comment. It is. <laughs> Wrestling fans going to think of uh, this guy who's really quite famous in certain circles. They're not going to know who he is. <laughs> but a casual is going to think of this storyline that they're referencing without explaining it. None of these idiots can be pleased or appeased. Ignore them. Enjoy. She said, regardless of if you didn't recognize him, she said, oh, "I've got a sensei." Everyone knows what a sensei is. Yeah. Like you, even if you were just like, "Oh, I don't know who that guy is," but not morons. Yeah. I used to do karate, you know. Did you? I used to do karate because I was obsessed with Karate Kid, John Claude Van Damme. Still, I used to love karate. 
to be like this big karate guy from the valley. And uh, called my sensei Dan once, and he bollocked me, and I got scared of him and never went back. That's why I never did karate, because karate is the lamest shit going. Like, karate guys are so lame. Like, I think it's about I karate. Like, the lore of karate is so like, weak. I thought he was this, like, really tough guy because he wore the same gear as like the the Americans on the valley and stuff. I thought he was like somehow glamorous. And it's like some guy from Redjuf. Some guy from Redjuf. The closest I ever got to karate was when I was 16 and I was trying to get in nightclubs with uh, shirts with dragons on them. <laughs> other, other than that, never for me that. I did uh, jujitsu. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one of the first fights, I don't know what they're called, I forgot to tie my trousers up and they fell down. <laughs> <laughs> Did he also go, hey? No. And my mate, who had a fight, said, oh, that kid kept pinching me. And so we went, should we just not go back? Yeah. So, like, my mum and dad had bought, like, this whole thing with a, what is it, you start with yellow belt, is it? I don't know. White belt White for me. Belt, yeah. I got uh, to the next one out of things, orange. Oh, right, yeah. They bought all that oh, stuff God. and I was like, won't be needing that anymore. We're not going back. <laughs> I've embarrassed myself. My trousers fell down. <laughs> I think it's, I know you're telling the story from your youth. I'm just picturing adult Wilborn. You could do that as a bit. I'd expect that would be in the office. Oh, no, my trousers are falling down. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> anyway. Born I, to, he was born to be the man he is, wasn't he, Wilborn? Yeah, yeah, he was. I'm, I'm, when, I, when I was thinking when I was younger... When I grow up, like when I was creating a wrestler or something on like SmackDown, I'm going to be so cool. That's what it's going to be. It's not, it's not, you know, the soundtrack to Drive, Wilborn. It's this noise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, should we get to the world champion? Hangman Page comes out. Poor bastard can't ever have a nice interview, can he? Comes down to the ring to be interviewed by Tony Schiavone, who asked him, oh, how are you feeling? You've got, you know, Clearly got some battle scars from that match with Lance Archer. He got about three words out again before he got interrupted. Uh, Adam Cole comes out uh, and tells the crowd, applaud this guy, all the battles he's been through, and then tells Shivani, get the hell out of my ring. Um, he says, uh, I've been a world champion everywhere I've gone. Adam Cole, this is. Um, it's a shame that uh, your, your title reign's going to have to come to an end soon. Um, and Paige responds by saying, how did it feel? How did it feel to see your friends build a wrestling empire without you? This AEW World Championship is the only world championship you will never hold. He said, in the, uh, in the time that uh, Cole's gone, Paige has blossomed into a great champion, but the reality is he's always just going to be known as the other Adam. I know that feeling. Uh, Paige <laughs> <laughs> goes to square up with Cole for this, but Cole says, oh, I've got... Nothing but respect and, and adoration for you. And uh, one day you and I will fight for the world title. And when that day comes, hey, may the best man win. What a lovely gesture. And he just nicely walks off. Except, of course not, Paige gets jumped by Red Dragon. Uh, O'Reilly, Kyle O'Reilly's back. Bobby Fish is uh, kicking, playing some boots into Hangman Page as well. Um, Cole obviously doubles back, gets involved in all that. Uh, Dark Order come down to break it up. And then... It, the segment took a really weird turn because security get involved to sort of separate everyone or, or calm everything down. And then suddenly 10 from the Dark Order hulks up and just starts laying out all the security guards and, uh, and then ch chucks the last one onto the pile of them on the outside. 
to set up a match with Cole on Rampage, but this was bloody weird, this ending. Overthought, mm. too much at once, misplaced priorities, on the back of something I thought was genuinely really good and something that it needed, which made the finishing bid, let's set up a match for Rampage, all the more baffling, because it was like, people weren't really into Cole versus Page as a true AEW pay-per-view main event. It carries a certain weight, a certain car- uh, an importance, an aura at this point. They were they really kind of got there with this promo exchange, which I thought was fabulous. And then dedicating not as much time, but as, as much importance, given that it was the end of the segment, to a very predictable, obligatory Rampage undercard match, just scanned as bizarre in the extreme to me. The actual execution and idea, not just the idea of setting up 10 versus Adam Cole on the back of your big sort of stare-down, shoot interview moment or whatever, but... The actual execution was bizarre. Like, the security cards didn't really do anything. <laughs> Bad. Yeah, it was... I don't know if it was badly shot or badly executed or a combination of the two. Yeah. But the fight between the security guards and 10 didn't feel uh, earned at all, it did it? It was like, so why fake. is he attacking them? Why are they suddenly, like... Oh, these trained security guards are pretty handy with a worked forearm. Like, I, I was saying to Cedric in the office, it actually reminded me of the Creepers deck in the Elite. I was like, what am I watching here? Mm. We're like, who are these faceless goons and why are they being presented as competitive? I know I'm supposed to see a giant dominating the, you know, the gang of idiots and all that, but... Such a shame because the promo ex- itself was excellent. Um, sold me on a pay per view for the third time in an hour. Like, what a hit rate for this dynamite! Like, another fantastic um, series, like series of moments between characters. If uh, MJF didn't say anything, but moments between characters—that's three feuds in a row, pretty much, where the motivations are crystal clear. You know exactly everything you need to book about the characters to buy why they're fighting each other, what the stakes are. So all the basics are just so lovingly attended to. And then because it's AEW, and when AEW does this sort of stuff, they do it better than maybe anybody ever. The extra details. I am head over heels already in love with the added, the new added texture to the relationship between the Young Bucks and Hangman Page. Hangman Page is a character almost like nobody else. I was a, a little bit ready to be like, you know what, I think you should have opened this show. It was a take I saw yesterday. I think it was Alan Forel, so I'm not going to claim it as my own. But what a week it would have been for Hangman Page finally to be allowed to open Dynamite again and saying, I'm your... Look what happened to me last week. I bled. I'm your champion, and I'm going nowhere. And there's a sub... You don't even need to mention what that's about, but the subject is apparent. You know, 100 foot highlights, Adam Cole comes out. So I'm thinking that's a great idea. And they don't do it. They put him in the middle of the card because he's not the ratings draw that CM Punk is. And he's getting interrupted and I'm thinking, oh, am I going to feel nothing for him again? And then, no, I feel everything for him because he's not a game show host like Drew McIntyre or he's not ludicrously indestructible like babyface Roman Reigns used to be because John Cena broke Vince McMahon's brain. Mm. He's a he's hangman page, flaws and all. And those flaws are so important because it's like he's replying to somebody on Twitter that's having a bad day. Like We're all works in progress we're all going through stuff and everything you say adam cole might be true in your own mind but that means everything that i can say can be true as well and that felt like it was piercing matt jackson's heart as relates to later on in the show that detail at the end of the full game match with with matt jackson his fiercest rival from the elite really hangman pages giving him the nod of acceptance of respect is going to play in to so, so much. Whether or not it's going to be something to do with Kenny Omega, whether or not it's going to be an undisputed era versus the elite. I'm looking at the Young Bucks and Hangman Page versus Cole, Fish and O'Reilly. I'm not even needing Omega for a trios match to suddenly make sense. It's it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant stuff. And it's almost obscuring that Page and Cole could have a total ripper on the pay-per-view mm. for the belt. 
You know, like, could have a real proper, like, maybe the perfect amalgamation of the NXT stuff I'm a little bit more predisposed to and the cool pro wrestling that Sidgwick wants. Like, they may have just stumbled upon a perfect Dadley's main event for the belt as a main event of pay-per-view that doesn't even feel like the biggest match on that card. Like, they, they, uh, that promo, before it all went a bit wacky, felt like they'd nailed everything. They'd nailed it so well, in fact, that Adam Cole, you know, you we say this all the time, you have to threaten and put over your opponent at the same time. It's a ridiculous thing to do <laughs> when you think about it, mm-hmm. but you have to do it. Adam Cole did it so well, and he spoke so warmly of Hangman Page as, like, he almost felt, like, proud of the guy he'd become and not particularly resentful of him. Like, I'm not jealous. It's just, I, I think I'm better, so I'm going to prove that. But, you know, you've evolved into, like, this great, great champion, and I'm pretty damn proud of you. Um, so when he walked off before, and another brilliant use of his face, like, a good use of his face, because they've kind of done the whole cliched one over the last however many months, when he grinned, and then they came flying in, like Cole's insincere dickhead thing worked so well that I didn't see the blindside attack coming. Mm. No, me neither. It's just the 10 bit that completely <laughs> threw me at the end. I was like, you could have just said he's going to fight 10, and I'd, I'd be still as interested in watching that. Don't need to see him chucking security guards about. It's going to be so much he's fun. Strong. He's, he's really big and strong, isn't he? It's going to be so much fun watching the ways they keep the young bucks away from Hangman Page before, it, like, push comes to shove and they are faced with the prospect of having to super kick him or having to even just throw a punch. Mm. Like the delaying is going to be as fun as the eventual payoff when they don't attack him. Uh, then we got the inner circle implosion. It was Jericho and Hager versus Santana and Ortiz. And before the match started, the return of Eddie Kingston. Great to see him back on an episode huge of AEW AW Dynamite. Yeah, huge bap for him as well. Uh, so they get into it. Santana goes right after Jericho. Repeated strikes. And he uh, gets hit with a standing moonsault from Ortiz for a near fall early on. Jericho pops Ortiz up into a face buster, though. Tags in Hager, who beats down Ortiz and... Well, berates him mid-match as well. Hits a Hager bomb to take us to a break. When we come back, uh, Ortiz uh, hits a clothesline to get to Santana for the hot tag. He runs wild on Hager, but gets hit with a code breaker from Jericho and a spine buster from Hager for a near fall. Jericho hits the running bulldog, but Ortiz cuts off the lion salt and they hit the street sweeper on Jericho for a near fall. Um, Jericho, though, counters the uh, corner cannibal into the lion tamer. Really nice, that. Uh, Kingston is urging Santana, though, to get to the ropes. He eventually gets there. Jericho, just furious with Kingston being there and being up on the apron. Uh, Springboard drop kicks Kingston, but that allows Santana to recover. He avoids the Judas effect. Ortiz hits Jericho with a shot, uh, and Santana hits the discus lariat. For the win, pinning Chris Jericho, who uh, post-match gets up, realizes what's happened, and goes after Kingston, but they have to be separated by referees and officials and all that. Absolutely. The first thing I want to say might be harsh. I looked at Jake Hager's physique, and I thought, you cheeky bastard. <laughs> you cheeky bastard. You know what year this is, don't you? <laughs> you know exactly what year this is. His old mate Jim Ross was uh, like verbalizing that as well. On a, on a just in case, you're going to need work out here in about six months. Oh, I'll, I'll put you over. I looked at that body and I'm thinking, where was that? Guys are stored. Guys are stored. I looked at that body and I'm thinking, where was that in 2020? Because when he arrived in 2019, he looked incredible. You know when like people like legitimately lose weight and get into shape and like the, the angles and the structure of the face just look so sharp and he's 
body underneath like the pool load. He looked great. And his running on the first ever Dynamite yeah. was so great that everyone was like, that can't possibly be a TNA thing because look at the way he's working. That was the best thing he's done in AEW by far. And it just, he didn't have the discipline to maintain that physique. I'm sorry, he didn't. And I thought he was, some of his stuff is really underrated. I've probably been the highest guy on Jake Hager and all of the goddamn wrestling media. Thought his tag team with Jericho was really good. Yeah. I thought the Cody match at Fighter Fest 2020 was shockingly great. But I still saw the physique and thought, you don't look like what you did last year. And you probably should because there are way better workers in this promotion than you are. So for him to do it again <laughs> during contract season, I'm like, I almost respect it if you worked <laughs> another contract by looking like that because he looked incredible. Uh, this match wasn't incredible. The, f the last three minutes were electrifying. The dynamic meant that the heat didn't really work as well, I guess. Um, There's a few double-team spots that Hager and Jericho tried to do that just looked a bit naff and wonky, but the last three minutes of this were genuinely electrifying. Chris Jericho can put together a tag team finish like nobody's business. He's unbelievable. I'd remember the stuff with the bat with Trent and Chuck Taylor in the pandemic. That was great. This stuff with the, the Russian leg sweep counter to the uh, moonsault was unbelievable. Catching the cannonball was unbelievable. Just felt like you're still a master at this for three minutes at the end of a tag team match. The start and the end of this were great. The pissy start, like how hard the chops were, like the tone. Got a bit drab and a bit oh, that's two heels working a match here, or like two non... It's not a babyface and heel tag team match. Undefined. So, yeah, so it was a little bit f flabby and drab in the middle, but like the start and the end were enough to make this an unqualified success for me. Yeah, I talked about this on the news pamphlet in terms of, well, we announced today that Chris Jericho signed all the way through 2023, basically, and uh, I said, if you'd told me this news about six weeks ago, I'd have been rolling my eyes and going, oh, bloody hell, more Jericho, is it? Mm. He's turned it around in recent weeks with this storyline for me. Yeah, I guess with this storyline and the potential ramifications of it, you can at least ask what more could he potentially do for others rather than for himself, and you hope that he does do that. Like, re-review these things, and you're supposed to strike a balance between subjective and objective, and I just, like, I think kind of like Sidgwick's hit upon exactly how I felt about this. It was, like, I, I, in the, I didn't feel much for a lot of this match. They lost me, and that is never ideal when you're supposed to be watching the blood feed, which is what the Inner Circle implosion is increasingly being presented as, is this blood feed. It shouldn't be normalised by the act of pro wrestling, and that happened way too much in this. If anything, they should have um, resisted the norm and not bothered with the middle bit and had a tag match that simply couldn't stay on the rails because of the emotion. You do the pissy start. You do the quite nice finish that, give, that gives you finally the splintering of Jericho and Kingston, and you just cut the rest of it because this couldn't become a normal wrestling match at the point at which they hit the holds. And we know where they do this, but at the point at which they hit the holds, like, what, what am I watching this for again? What is, what is exactly they're supposed to be telling me? I, I, you know, rare that I would do this, but the, a criticism I applied to an NXT 2.0 match, like, oh, these are just things that are being supplanted upon wrestlers. These are not wrestlers acting as the characters they are. And it almost, like, it felt... Like, flabby to a quite a big fault as a result at large portions, like large portions of this match. But key to all of this was um, the point that the commentary team beat you over the head with, which was that Jericho was the instigator in the um, sort of skirmish with Eddie Kingston. Kingston, Jericho won't believe that. Jericho will believe that Kingston instigated this just by existing. He will believe that, what are you doing showing your face? It's this not is, the apron. This is, well, yeah, but like, this is inner circle business will be Jericho's <laughs> rationale. Yeah. And... 
uh, I think Excalibur was at pains to say, or Tony, I forget what it was, was at pains to say, like Jericho took first swing at, you know, at Kingston, like, and yeah, Kingston was on the apron, he was theoretically in the theatre of conflict. So I love that, that they'll both believe that they're in the right and you're going to get the match and the fans will decide and the fans will choose Eddie Kingston and that's the way the dynamic seems to at long last be leading. I don't have a lot of hope for the singles match. I don't know if that's um, sacrilegious maybe because I know how much people love both these guys, in fact. I'm not sure how good this match can actually be, but the post-match brawl made me believe that they can fake the fire very well. I think the match will be great. I think the match will be great. I don't think that Chris Jericho will try and do what he was kind of doing a little bit too early in his AW career, like thinking he could still go with the yeah. Baker and Page for the Epics. I think this will be a pure fight. I, I worry where this goes on another long pay-per-view, especially if they're, like, they're aiming for like 15 minutes or something. I do have my concerns about the quality of this one on, on the night. Uh, we go backstage. Cole's there with Red Dragon and the Young Bucks. Uh, he asks where the Bucks were during the uh, beatdown earlier, and they said, well, if you did that, it'd be like being a dead horse. Mm-hmm. Like that. Um, Cole talks about fighting 10 soon. Well, be scared after that showing. Um, and uh, Bucks say that next week feel like a good week to pick up a W, and uh, Red Dragon says they're going to win. They're both basically saying they're going to win that those two spots in the, the trios match, basically. Um, and Matt's saying, well, where on earth have you been, Kyle O'Reilly? And Kyle O'Reilly says, oh, I was off picking up the, the Dad of the Year award. He's had a kid, obviously. Um, he says, oh, I've got, I've got a child. Matt says, well, I've got two. And Fish says, well, I've got three. Cold cuts across with a nice like, guys, guys, you've all got beautiful children. <laughs> uh, and anyway, they go their separate ways. And Cole doesn't know whether to go off to, the, to his right, which is where the Young Bucks, or to his left, which is where the Red Dragon uh, went and... Uh, well, it's even pointed out, and he just tells him, shut up. Nice little touch, this. Nice of Brandon to get a little W, isn't it? Yes. He get, takes all this abuse, and obviously it's all for a, a bigger picture purpose, but it was just nice for Brandon to be involved in this in this little bit of nice visual storytelling. Yeah. I like that. And uh, then we got the no DQ match, Mercedes Martinez versus Thunder Rosa. Uh, Mercedes Martinez didn't even bother getting in the ring. She just waited at the bottom of the ramp with her steel pipe, to go after Thunder Rosa, who brings down a chair to knock the pipe out of her hand. Uh, they brawl out on the floor. Um, Martinez sends Rosa into the steps, gets some chairs, chucks them in the ring. Uh, Rosa fights back those sends. Martinez through the barricade. They fight up into the crowd. Uh, Rosa jumps off a railing to onto Martinez to take us into a break. When we come back, uh, they are fighting on the apron, and Martinez hits a fisherman's buster through a table, which is propped up rather than set up because Thunder Rosa... Yeah, we rewatched this. Had a bloody nightmare with this in picture of yeah. picture, uh, but it actually kind of looked quite cool. You said, didn't you, with the I, way it broke? The first, the first impact, I was like, oh, they slide down the table. But they kept replaying it, and I liked it more and more the more I replayed it because the bodies just looked so deadened by the, yeah. the impact and uh, just sliding down. It didn't look like kids going down a slide. It looked like bodies just dropping off. Shot. It was nice. Wasn't the worst bump. That's to come. <laughs> uh, Martinez goes for an avalanche avalanche power bomb. Rosa turns it into a Frankensteiner uh, and does the old trash can on the head drop kick to to pop the crowd and me to be honest for a, a two count on Martinez. Um, she goes through the ropes, gets cut off with a shot from a trash can lid though, and uh, Martinez catches her with a German suplex off the top that folds Thunder up like a bloody accordion. Uh, it's a top rope elbow drop Martinez does for a near fall. Uh, Rosa comes back though, crucifix bomb, and then hits the fire Thunder driver onto the big pile of chairs in the middle of the ring 
to get the victory. I was kind of surprised how short this went, Sige. Um, but we also have to talk about what happened afterwards. Bit of nice bit of respect shown between Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez. Then Britt Baker uh, and everyone else comes down, consults her sensei, who uh, tells him to finish her. They attack Thunder Rosa and then give Martinez the pipe to attack her. But now all of a sudden she's got a bit of respect for Thunder Rosa. And uh, in the time she takes to pause and consider whether or not she wants to kill Thunder Rosa, Jamie Hayes had enough. She fights her. Uh, Baker beats down Thunder Rosa and poses with the belt to close this segment. Here's a good thing. Even though it's, again, one women's match on the show, they are kind of booking this division like they would the men's division at long last. Intricate, sprawling, overlapping stories. They are not yet worthy of death dovetailing, but maybe one day they will reach that. <sighs> White 36-year-old podcaster, so I'm really going to choose my words carefully. They tried so hard in this match <laughs> that kind of kept going wrong, sort of out of their control, that even though it wasn't the most fluid experience and you could see them thinking about how to salvage a spot or how to get to the next one that I can't pretend I was like really immersed in this super violent fight but I admired it quite a lot even though it couldn't match expectations and they're probably a little bit good with it themselves but they hit each other so goddamn hard and some of the nasty some of the not exactly two planned moments looked all the more brutal, like when she got shoved into the barricade. Oh, man. That couldn't have been on purpose. Nah. It looked she a didn't little, take a flat back. She didn't she take a flat fell. back. It like, looked really painful, but I don't know if they were going to do some kind of clothesline over the barricade or whether they've just improvised that spot where Thunder Rosa took a little while to do a dive off one of the stands. Those bits were like all the better for feeling raw and feeling like yeah. natural and organic and a little bit ugly like a fight. Elsewhere, it felt like failed plunder, if we're being perfectly honest. But there was enough to really like about what they were trying to do that I kind of went along with it. Yeah, I think luckily the like the valleys were as low as the peaks were high. So you were constantly brought back in by something cool, even if you were thinking, ah, oh, this doesn't really feel like a blood feud payoff. Then something awesome would happen, and then you were back on for just long enough, and it kind of played through like that over and over again. Um, something I really appreciated, because like, I thought the beatdown was a bit mid. Like, I got the point of it, and obviously it's, I'm glad they're progressing the story. And that rampage we did the other week where this reveal of this alliance, I couldn't be higher on it because you're setting up about 15 matches. So, like, really, like, they're ultimately... Consider this Mercedes Martinez Britt Baker union a massive success compared to oh she's Jade Cargill's partner slash hit woman. That pivot was a really smart and shrewd one. Um, but just want to compliment AEW's process at large. John Moxley talks through um, to get my respect. We've got to bleed together, and then AEW show it in action in a different storyline that has nothing to do with that in the form of Martinez and Thunder yeah. Rosa. If you don't understand how it is that they might be bonded. John Moxley has explained that process to you earlier on in the night, and uh, like that's that's why this company is a pro wrestling company and the other one isn't, because they just think about, like, everyone can exist in the same world, with the exception of the Karate Kid guy. Like, was, this the, was this the character telling Britt Baker to battle no. the one, or was it the actor himself? Yeah, Does he really not like uh, Mercedes Martinez? He had a little Chiron, and it was the name of the actor. So the actor has got a big issue with Mercedes Martinez. He's been watching, he's like... I hate Thunder Rose, yeah. Oh, I don't like Thunder Rose and Mercedes Martinez. Do something about this, Britt Baker. He didn't like people who show mercy? <laughs> you not get? Is that, so he's so method. Like, that's yeah. how he's so good in Cobra Kai. Yeah. Uh, right, over to the House of Black. Uh, I, I watched this, right? 
and I immediately forgot it. Yeah. Because I, I, I love the House of Black when they're in the ring. Stuff like this just passes me by. He talks about violence begetting violence. No violence can truly create without judgment or some bollocks. Uh, wait for history. History's here. And uh, as much as I roll my eyes at this, this is a tease for Buddy Murphy. It is. It's one of those where it's like, do you sign a guy on the basis of one match could be absolutely tits? If you totally can't. Yes, because he's like very, very <laughs> enthusiastic. I do not want AEW to sign another, let's face it, kind of boring white man who happens to be great at wrestling. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> I could live without Buddy Murphy in my life. Can I live without Buddy Murphy, Malachi Black, and Brody King versus Death Triangle with a returning Ray Phoenix? That sounds awesome. But the thing is, it's meant to be the meritocracy. Buddy Murphy, I haven't seen anyone on Twitter go, you need to check out this match he's worked on the indies. Did he have one against Osprey? Or against he worked a card or someone, didn't he? Yes, yeah, it, it was yeah. like, uh, he looks too bulky for me, doesn't look like he's explosive um, in what I've seen of him. I'm into the match. I'm not into him being in AEW particularly. Look, I didn't understand the bloody word Malachi Black was saying, but, no. but it looked cool. Uh, the irony of we've literally got Kenny Omega at home. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I mean, I appreciate the law and continuity of this because if you remember, both Malachi Black and Buddy Murphy were both in jail. The, s- the same one. And then they bust out of the same jail. And now they're, so they're, that's where they, they met so in jail. They're controlling their narrative, mate. <laughs> they met in jail. And like Cody's fought with Malachi Black. So that's like, a, it was a psychiatric unit. <laughs> Cody Rhodes said. Uh, <laughs> hey, maximum security psychiatric unit. Hey, Malachi, talk me through that jail. I think I want to give it a go. <laughs> I'm going to walk <laughs> into jail. Tell me more about this jail. <laughs> Just like, it's rubbish, claptrap, garbage. But. But um, oh, there's probably one good trios match in it. I, like, just like it's Buddy Murphy. Just have him be another partner that shows up this week. Lights off, lights on, and then save us all a bit of time and silly bother. Mm. <laughs> uh, we got a video package from Jay White talking about effectively creating AW by forcing Omega out of New Japan. Uh, he's fighting on Rampage, is going to be great, and he's facing Trent Beretta. Uh, DM. Oh no, sorry, it's still his <laughs> era. Don't do the finger thing. I realise that that probably is his thing, but we all, if we're an AEW fan, that, yeah. that's not your thing. In my head canon, he's done it. Halfway through, he's realised, I'm going to have to phone this in so it doesn't look like hers, and then we've just kept it in the tape. <laughs> I don't know what the hell this was. I, was this it Breathe with Switchblade or something? His whole thing is Breathe with the Switchblade. Share uh, makes no sense to me. Look, I'm a Jay White guy. Mm. Jay White is a very dense book. That you know is very, very good, but sometimes you can't be asked to read it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should not go 50 minutes in the dome with a clap crowd, but he sometimes does. He should not spend quite so much time stalling and building the matches, but the payoffs are usually great. I've got no doubt that you'll be able to transition to the more compact TV format, but they're not really doing much to present him as this huge get. I know he's been... St- Dogging it in impact, if I'm being perfectly honest, because there's something happening with like the, the foreign talent in New Japan. It's hard to build storylines around them, and there was reports of unhappiness. Basically, the guy he was in 2019, he isn't anymore, and they're not doing enough AEW to make us remember the guy from 2019 who had one of the, my favorite matches of all time in the G1 Climax final with Kota Ibushi, who was really just becoming great. Um, there was a Jay White like that once. They need to pretend that he still is that, and they're not doing a good enough job. 
He's uh, he's infinite jest, isn't he? JY. JY. <laughs> he's infinite jest. Infinite jest. Infinite jest. David Foster Wallace. Um, the thing is with JY, they did need to do this. I admire them going to the trouble of trying to um, attach some backstory for anybody that doesn't know who JY is, because we, it's possibly a little bit. It's okay for you to treat your audience with respect, but it's quite another to maybe like assume too much knowledge of another promotion. Yes. That's the thing with Forbidden Door stuff, is that they're coming from a different company. And if you don't watch that company, it's it's okay to want a bit of... Um, exposition. Exposition, thank you, yeah. And I just... But the exposition wasn't very good. Like, I, I get what they were trying to say. Like, you're welcome. Like, he beat Kenny Omega once, so that's why AEW exists. That's just simply not true. Like, Hiroshi Tanahashi beat Kenny Omega... Long after Jay White beat Kenny Omega for a far superior belt. So, and Hiroshi Tanahashi didn't appear on Jericho's birthday and be like, Hi, oh, AEW fans, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it was a bit, and he's a heel, so I guess he can lie and be grandiose and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, if Jay White is the kind of wrestler, and he is because I've lived through this, if he's the kind of wrestler that you kind of need to be sold on first, then the sales pitch needs to be good for a bunch of new people, and this wasn't super effective. And the, the DMD thing was a, uh, just take it again. You're on tape. Do that again. Sammy Guevara versus Darby <laughs> Allen for the TNT Championship. Nice bit of respect at the start and great dueling Darby and Sammy chance. Uh, early on, they sort of jockey for position on the top rope and Guevara just goes, right over the turnbuckle, you go to Darby Allen, sends him out to the floor and there was another bit where he did a sort of, just drop. he just dropped him, he just dropped him on the top rope and Darby Allen, he talked about this on the preview yesterday, he's a lunatic. Uh, he'll take these bumps and don't worry, Sammy Guevara will take some rough bumps as well in a bit. That takes us to commercial. When we come back, uh, Dolby Allen's hitting coffin splashes and then targeting um, Sammy Guevara's knee. Um, he ties it up in the tree of woe in the uh, in the t- corner um, and uses the ropes for leverage. But Ge- Guevara powers up and hits a top rope Spanish fly for a two count. Uh, but Allen, uh, Darby Allen then counters the springboard drop kick, puts him in a figure four, uh, and he's just really wrenching on it. And they they fight over that. At one point, they sit up with their legs tied together and exchange slaps, and then they start counter each other's big moves. Um, Darby Allen gets a cradle out of nowhere to get a nice near fall, utilizing the injured leg. Uh, then he hits the float over stunner. That sends Guevara out to the floor, and now he's on commentary, they go, well, it's probably safe out there. And you see Darby Allen, you go, no, it's not. Darby Allen goes to that mad dive that he does, and Sammy Guevara just catches him as he's doing it and hits a cutter on the floor. Um, Guevara goes to the top rope senton bomb on the apron. My God, hardest part of the ring. You're not kidding. Uh, Darby Allen moves out of the way, and Guevara just eats, basically, on the apron. Um, so that allows Darby Allen to... to take control, brings him back into the ring, sets him up uh, for the coffin drop. Uh, Jose, Andrade's assistant, jumps up on the apron, uh, but thankfully Sting is there to to pull him down, beat him up, and uh, chase him off. But this whole distraction takes the referee, um, and that allows uh, Andrade to hit Darby Allen with his iPad, and Darby Allen's just slumped over on the top rope, and Guevara looks over, doesn't know what's happened, but hell, he'll take it. And despite his injured leg, he picks up Darby Allen off the top rope and hits him with the GTH for the one, two, three to retain the belt singular. <laughs> Thank you to Jim Ross for recognizing. <laughs> Why on earth has Sammy got two belts? Anyway, post match, 
Here comes Matt Hardy. He comes in, beats down Darby Allen. Guevara chases him off, um, but then Andrade twats him with the iPad and steals both titles. You could have one if you want, because you only need one if you're the champion. Uh, and the closing shot is Andrade and uh, Matt Hardy looking very pleased with themselves, holding the two TNT championships, walking up the ramp. I can understand why WWE fans don't like it when I compare the two companies. I can also understand it when AEW fans don't like it when I compare the two companies because it's a shallow frame of reference and one can be good without mentioning how bad the other one is. We're gonna do it anyway. (laughs) We're gonna do it anyway. We're gonna do it anyway. (laughs) When was the last time you watched a main event on Raw Smackdown (coughs) where the two acts, teams, singles, whatever, worked it like this is the main event of a TV show. It's incredibly important to my career. The stakes are championship level high. We are going to sell this match in this fight like it's the biggest one of our careers on a TV main event. The tone here was just incredible. More so than the bumps, which were as well-timed and as unhinged Unfortunately, time that because genuinely, Charlotte and Naomi before that months, months and months uh, and months. I was, uh, months. I, I, I was kind of the low guy on that. I thought yeah. it hit the patterns. Okay, that's fair enough. That's what I thought of then. Yeah, I was a like, long time. But a rule proven exception. <laughs> he wasn't my car. Don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there. Just there. Drunk on power now, you see. No, I get it. You know, but the broken clock's right twice a yeah, day. If it. you were the high guy on it, usually it's just this thing that happens. Mm. It's just a match to work. I don't think Seth Rollins and Randy Orton did it like the main event of a TV show. But this was the tone of this was great. Yeah, the spots in this were great, bonkers. Like the timing on the cutter from the dive. The only issue I have with that is that I almost sensed it because Darby Allen running into it very fast isn't quite the same as a bullet from a gun. So I. But that's just, Darby Allen's low pay is ordinarily too awesome. But what a great spot it was regardless. But the tone I was most impressed with, what I loved about this as well, is if you recall, when Darby Allen lost the TNT title to Miro, they did the best possible version of protecting him, protection booking, where they threw him down three flights of stairs, remember that? Yeah. God. Terrifying angle that was. I don't know what, the th- what they were thinking. <laughs> And he went in with, with a shoulder injury, but Miro didn't look worse. He just looked vicious for capitalizing on it. Sammy Guevara tweaks his knee in this match. I hope it was storyline. Did a very good job selling it if um, it was, but I'm pretty sure it was storyline. Yeah. With the idea being that they knew the Andrade thing was circling around this match, but they know that the audience, when they see a baby face, like tweak their knee or suffer an injury, you think that's their way out. There's going to be a title switch. I was on the hook for the switch. And when the way the interference played out, like Sammy Guevara on one knee is like, ah, not ideal, but well, I'll take it. I've got one knee here. I'm going to beat this guy who's like on my level, which I've shown throughout this match. Really, really strong. I had no issues whatsoever with the finish. Sometimes you need a bit of goddamn heat. Let me go all fully ray on you. Uh, This is excellent TV wrestling. I would have looked at the slap battle between Moriarty and Danielson and thought, let's not us do that, though. Yeah, I, what I liked most about this was that they... So Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen have effectively upheld their brand, which is of just total exhilaration. That's what they offer. If they deviate from that path, they risk 
losing an audience that has understandably been given a certain expectation and that expectation in itself is quite hard to live up to and they absolutely lived up to that like a really beautiful tribute to Cody Rhodes the kind of godfather of all of this of both of their careers of the TNT title because the man doesn't believe in healers and baby faces and these are both good guys that come across like a couple of assholes so <laughs> like that was as, as nice a tribute as the crossroads into the disaster kick bit that you know like really uh, the best way I think if anything to, to pay tribute to him um, send him one of the belts Sammy then you yeah. just have one. Let me hang that up on his wall. Uh, he can drop it in a bin on Raw. Um, it was... I, I was less kind towards the finish, if I'm honest. That's fine. Because... People were. Because... All that stuff... Because that's crap. Matt Hardy is crap. Andrade, I wish to buy that boy. is rubbish. This is it's bad. Quite, I think it's quite funny. This is bad crap. Like, this is completely fine on NXT, right? But it's... That first hour was loaded with three powerhouse angles for an awesome-looking pay-per-view. And this is turgid, nonsense, bad wrestling comedy. Like this Andrade character slapping people out with an iPad. Piss off. You rubbish, you incredibly sexy, awesome super worker that is being presented to me as a clown, hanging out with these other clowns, making clowns of these wrestlers that are having this exhilarating wrestling match. Like, really take... They all suck. Those guys at the end, these douchebags that come out, they suck. Like, Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen, like, I don't really like either of them two, but they're having this awesome rest. They're awesome at this, right? Then these dickheads come out and piss about, like, trivialising the whole thing, trivialise the vibe of the whole thing, like the TNT title. I don't want to see Andrade in this Darby Allen match, in this dream match anymore. I don't want to see, like... He's a rodeo clown. Like, I don't know. Like, trivialised nonsense comedy that I didn't think ended the show on a high either. Yeah, it, it dipped right at the end for me. I never want AW Dynamite to go off air with the last shot being Matt Hardy. <laughs> that, it's that simple. He puts his leg in a weird place when I, he's doing punches, doesn't he? Doesn't he? He does. I didn't want to pick on Matt Hardy specifically because it's that whole scene. It's like, here come yeah, these oh yeah, Keystone cop losers. Like, it's just not very AW. It doesn't feel elite. I'll take it all back if they do one thing, right? Because they've, I presume, kidnapped the titles. Titles, ridiculous, right? Chuck one of them off a bridge, the interim one. Yeah, just get rid of it, and then, then it'll all like, oh, you get get three passes as a result. There. Why has he got two titles? Well, one, you you broadcast professionally on WWE for a living, and you don't get annoyed by anything on that show as you do uh, this. What the hell is wrong with this? This is what I'm saying. I tweeted this yesterday. I was like, why does this wind me up so much? Probably because the uh, the hot take someone uh, tweeted me was, um, well, Chris Jericho had two titles when he was Undisputed Champion. No, dear, that's wrong. They've got two, <laughs> two different lineages. Two different lineages as two different belts. You absolute idiot. We review a wrestling show and we also review WWE. That's, that's, that's saying, the thing. Jim Ross just talks sense all the time. All I've ever said on this podcast is, <laughs> more of this guy. Um, but yeah, I, I thought... I love this show, and then right at the end, it's one of those things, we often come in here and say this, and I go, if Raw ends well, I go, is that great Raw? No, it's dreadful for the two hours and 59 minutes, and then the last bit you quite liked, so you, I'm very much that guy, and so the close of this, a great match. Talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mad bumps, um, you know, just two pillars showcasing. The last thing that happened to you is just, that's the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just, it just, yeah. I, I, like I said, I didn't even necessarily mind the finish as a, like, uh, okay, well, you know, it's like literally like Sammy Guevara. Well, I'll take it. It was just... Do you know what this was? This was, like, really cool, vicious, exciting, tense karate, and then someone's trousers fall down. <laughs> 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 like, that was how that ended. 
Well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. Or Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Still order his brilliant book, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW on Amazon. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Uh, follow us all at WhatCultureWWE and make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Loads of podcasts coming your way today. Uh, we're going to be talking about Cody Rhodes heading to WWE a little bit later on and myself and Michael Hamlet will be previewing... Elimination Chamber ahead of this weekend. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadley Boys. My thanks to you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 